0: So last week, we started talking about these rivalries, right? And, and I think we discovered two things. When it comes to sports rivalries, this church has absolutely none. Um, zero, all right? But the Bible has plenty. You could see them from individual rivalries. As, as early as Cain versus Abel, Jacob versus Esau, Joseph versus his brother, uh, brothers, Elijah versus Jezebel. Rivalries between people. In the Bible, but I think even a little bit more broadly, you see it between the nation of Israel itself and all these other things swirling around Israel in Egypt, Israel in Canaan, Israel and Assyria, and the one that I want to hone in on you today is one of the biggest rivalries of the Old Testament of all. It's huge, but most people miss it: Israel and Babylon. Now this rivalry of Israel and Babylon is, is, is all the seedbed, it's the context of what the prophet Isaiah, specifically chapter 40 to the end, is all about. Isaiah is an interesting book, in and there's a time leap that happens in it between chapter 39 and chapter 40, and you gotta know what's going on under the surface to kind of like make any sense of this. Have you ever tried reading Isaiah, anyone doing some of these challenges here this fall? And, and, and like you're like, I I have no idea what I'm even reading. Do you ever feel like this? Like reading Isaiah, it's like you you hover around a good line that took like eight pages to find, and the rest you're just like deer in the headlights. Because Isaiah assumes that you know what's going on behind the surface, and what's going on under the surface is this rivalry. Israel, or more specifically, Judah. And Babylon. And at the time of Isaiah 40, Babylon has Judah on the ropes. I'm being too kind to Judah there. T-K-O. Knocked down again and again and again. Three attacks of Babylon against Judah. And with that final blow, lays them flat. The year is 587. The Babylonian king, Nebuchadnezzar, brings his forces up against the city of Jerusalem, the last stronghold, the last holdout of the once great nation of Israel, and they are shaking in their boots. They are terrified. God, save us. God, deliver us. God, rescue us. You ever pray a prayer like that? And Babylon comes crushing through, They break through the walls. They set the temple on fire. They rob everything in sight. Kill everyone of military age. Take everyone else out into exile, forcing them to move hundreds of miles from their land. Babylon has won. And besides the trauma of just, can you imagine living through something like this. Can you imagine living as the oppressed in warfare and the terror that that must bring, but more so theologically, because God didn't save us. God didn't deliver us, what does this mean? That the God didn't rescue us, we prayed, we tried, we sought him, we, we did the right things. But Babylon won anyway. Worse, the temple is down, burned down. And this isn't just some church. This is where God chose to, to manifest his presence. You know, God was there. But now he's not. Did he abandon me? Did he abandon our city? Worse did he reject me? Did he reject our city? Is he judging me? Worse. Is he even real? Or have I been deluding myself? Has this been a fairy tale to begin with? Maybe the gods of Babylon are the true gods after all. They won, didn't they? They're stronger, aren't they? They seemed to deliver their people, didn't they? Can you kind of get into the headspace of this a little bit? Because behind the nation of Babylon is something deeper that Isaiah talks about, a rivalry, if you will. Last week, I shared with you how Isaiah talks about this rivalry between Yahweh and the gods. Today, we get more specific. Yahweh versus Marduk. Marduk. Marduk was the patron god of Babylon. Now, I want to teach you some Akkadian here this morning, all right? And and if you don't know what Akkadian is, think of Akkadian, it's a language, and think of it as like the little cousin to Sumerian, which really helps, doesn't it? But Sumerian is the oldest recorded language and alphabet in the world, oldest one known. Akkadian is his little cousin, and there's this fascinating story, this tale, that you can read about this god in Akkadian, and, and I, and I got to kind of pronounce this to you, and, and I want you to kind of get it on your lips this morning, all right? So, Amar Uda'akh, all right? Amar Uda'akh. So give me an Amar. Amar. Give me an Uda. Uda. Give me an Akh. Yeah, you did it right. You did it right. You know, put it together. Amarudak. You don't really need to know that, but it's just so much more fun to say it that way. If your ears are working this morning, Amarudak, you can hear Marduk kind of come out of that. Just our simple English way of talking about this God of Babylon. Praised and celebrated in texts dating thousands of years old. It translates calf of the storm. That's what his name means. Calf of the storm. Do you kind of have this moment going, I don't know what to do with that because like of the storm, but like it's like a baby cow? Are you uh, like what? A god of the rain, which brings fertility and abundance. Do you see the two colluding together? calf of the storm. And in this ancient text called the Enuma Elish, which you can just Google and get online, it talks about this god Amaru Daak. We were saying this earlier, and one of the people in the praise team was just like, man, it sounds like you're talking Klingon. Maybe it does, right? But this tale of Amaru Uda'ak and his ascendancy to power and greatness, because he's not the oldest of the gods in the ancient Near East mythologies and pantheons, but he became one of of the, greatest. And the Enuma Elisha gives his story. It's the story of this, this chaos monster, this, this dragon, if you will, called Tiamat, who is threatening the gods and to overthrow them. And the gods are quaking in their boots, not knowing what to do. But Amar Udaak comes before the pantheon of the gods and says, If you will make me king, I'll defeat this Tiamat for you and over seven tablets of describing the account. It goes on to talk how he gets this big honking mace like something out of Lord of the Rings, you know, and he goes to battle against Tiamat. There's inscriptions that you can find of how the Babylonians would show Amar Udaak going head-to-head with this monster. I came across this, if it helps a little bit more, a modern artist's rendition, trying to give a sense of of the gravity the power the the the, the rivalry the <laughs> the epic cataclysmic nature of what this is going to be and Amaru Udaak takes his mace and you got to say it this way smotes Tiamat into the ruins <laughs> proclaiming his power and showing his glory and the final tablet the final tablet of the Enuma Elish shows his ascendancy to the throne and granted 50 names. 50 names describing his glory, 50 names describing his might, 50 names describing the power and the gravity of Amar Udaak. Let me share just a few with you today. The giver of the land, Marduk the noble, the light of his father, the lord of abundance, The cleanser of conscience, the life giver, the creator of heaven and the underworld, the creator of all peoples, Lord of lords, whose strength is exalted, God of gods, defeater of Tiamat, king. Do some of these names, for those of you who know the Bible, do some of these names feel just a bit familiar to you? Yahweh is not the only one in the ring. From the worldview of the people of the Bible, Yahweh is not an uncontested God. There are others claiming the exact same titles, heavyweight champion of the world, as he is. You have a grudge match, a rivalry being described in the prophet Isaiah, and one that was so pertinent for the people of Judah a people suffering and defeated, a people who were on the ropes for centuries and now TKO'd into the mat. Yahweh versus Marduk. It's a story behind Isaiah chapter 40 through 66. Now, two things. In the ancient Near East worldview, Because Babylon won, and because behind every nation and everything is a god, it means Marduk won. Which means, as any practical person can just see, that Marduk is supreme. Because see, as much as we might like to scoff at people of the ancient world, they were very pragmatic kind of people. How do you know which God is best? Well, look at the one who gets the job done. How do you know which God to turn to? See what works. We prayed to Yahweh. They prayed to Marduk. Judah is an ash. Babylon is thriving. What conclusions could you draw? And imagine yourself as one of those Judahites who lived through the defeat, carried off in shame and exile Carried off as a prisoner of war hundreds of miles away and now plunged into this city, the city of Babylon, a city known for its opulence, for its wealth, for its prosperity. Looking around, seeing the wonders and the glories of everything happening around you. And over it, Marduk, whom they hail, raising, reigning supreme. Imagine the doubt that it would reign in your heart. Imagine the questions that would start to come up. Imagine the temptation that would be there, as you struggled to stay faith to Yahweh, struggling against the doubt and your heart, looking at this alternative that is clearly better, that clearly worked, wondering if you can or should do the same. Can you resonate with that? Have you ever felt that you try to stay faithful to Yahweh? You know the promises, you know what he said, but they just don't seem to work sometimes. Or it just doesn't seem to play out the way you hoped. Or you ask yourself these questions, if he is all good and if he is all powerful and if he is all knowing and if he is really someone who loves me, then why is this scenario happening, and it it seeds doubt, doesn't it? Or certainly invites struggle. Struggle and wonderment if... I got my head screwed on straight with this thing to begin with. This is the stuff of Isaiah. This is the stuff that these Judahites were struggling with. Maybe you struggle with it too. But the second thing relates to another name, for Marduk, another name that you'll find in the Bible, pronounced Bel. Not like Bell, like in Beauty and the Beast, all right? B-E-L. And again, if your ears are working, this might kind of hum with similarity to another god you know in the Bible by a Canaanite name, Baal. Bel is just basically the Babylonian version of whom the Canaanites worshipped as Baal. He's also pretty much the same as Zeus, God of Storm in Greek mythology, and and, and Thor, for that matter, in Scandinavian mythology. And you can go around all these different mythological systems of the ancient Near East and find his equivalent, which means this, everyone is doing it. This Marduk, everyone believes him. They might give him different names. They might look at him in different ways. But everyone fundamentally believes him. Except for us, these weird Judahites who claim with this ferocious kind of exclusivity to Yahweh. But imagine the struggle for someone of ancient Judah. When everyone around you believes one thing, and you sit there alone believing something different. When everyone around you is seeking one thing, but not you, you're seeking something different. When everyone around you is celebrating it, when it's just common sense, because while everyone believes it, you know what the definition of common sense is? Well, common, get enough people to believe anything and it's common sense, right? No matter how stupid it is. Everyone else around you believes it. It's so apparent. What kind of idiot, what kind of fool, what kind of simpleton, what kind of weirdo are you? Have you ever felt that kind of pressure? Because following Yahweh, it makes you different. Following Jesus, it makes you different. By virtue of doing it, it puts you on a different path with different priorities and different beliefs, different perspectives and different aims, different ways of life and different ways of conducting yourself than most people around you. And imagine what it was like for the people of ancient Judah carried off into Babylon where everyone was going the certain way Trying to be different, trying to remain faithful, trying to find reason for your beliefs and cling to them is truth, even though everyone around you says they're falsehood and the world might even seem to indicate it is. And the more that you do it, the more it ostracizes you. The more that you do it, the more it isolates you. The more you do it, the more it makes you stick out. As that strange one that no one really knows how to relate to, at best, or at worst. A threat. This is the rivalry of Yahweh, versus Marduk, what the people of Isaiah's day found themselves plunged into. Now last week, I shared with you that what Isaiah says is that no matter what these rivalries seem to be, for Yahweh they're really a no-match. I like how Gwen said it, where the message translation talks about the no-gods, the gods that are really no-gods, that these rivalries are really no rivalries, that Yahweh is supreme. We talked about how it's like that Mike Tyson versus Frazier fight. We talked about the UFC fight, the shortest on record, five seconds. I've got another clip that I want to show you today that I think might illustrate the message that Isaiah is trying to bring. It's from the Avengers, the first one. Take a look. I got it. Eat me, I am a god, you dull creature, and I will not be bullied by that puny god. It's the message of Isaiah. climb into the headspace just for a second with me. Because as you watch this clip, we have, and, and, and look, I, I discovered that you, you know and care nothing about sports, so I'm going to assume you know and care nothing about the Avengers as well. So, so, for those of you on the outside, we have the enemy, the god Loki, finding him head-to-head with, hopefully you know this one, the Hulk. All right? At the end. It's a no match. It's no competition. Are you, am I right? Which one is Yahweh. You feel like you're being set up a little bit, don't you? <laughs> and I promised you, whichever way you were going to answer it, I was going to go the opposite, right? You know. <laughs> Look, we know the right answer. We know the right answer. We know that the Hulk is representing Yahweh. That these ones that claim to be gods and stand before him are nothing before him. That their power is laughable. That the pomp and glory that they set themselves up with, Yahweh leaves in the dust without a second thought. Puny God. But imagine the question from the perspective of ancient Israel. After Marduk has just pulled up Hulk, on their nation. Yahweh claims to be God, but Babylon has come and beat us into the dirt. Which raises a question, doesn't it? How do you go about believing? that Yahweh is truly the Hulk when it seems like Marduk is. Or if I can put the question another way. What's your Marduk? Who or what is that thing that seems bigger, stronger, maybe even better, that seems to work better than Yahweh? Because the message of Isaiah to the people of Israel is a message of Isaiah to you as well. That there ain't no getting around it. Those times are going to come when it seems like something stronger is winning. And Isaiah cries out to the people of Israel, do not forget who Yahweh is. And don't just look at the moment. I love how Todd put it earlier today. Look at the long game because it's so easy when you're picked up by your foot, getting beat into the dirt, to lose perspective of what's gone on before and what's to come, isn't it? It's so easy when you're getting your face pummeled into the dirt to think nothing about what's happening right here. But the message of Isaiah is this. Think about what Yahweh has done. Look back to the God who from the beginning has delivered again and again against insurmountable obstacle and against every giant in Marduk who has come his way. This God who has done it then, this God who knows your future is going to do it again. But will you now? Will you now while you are being hulked into the dirt? Trust Yahweh. I love what the prophets have to say. Let me read this to you from Jeremiah. Jeremiah who writes, in the midst of Babylon crushing Judah into the dirt, announce and proclaim among the nations, lift up a banner and proclaim it, keep nothing back but say, Babylon will be captured. Saying it while they're storming the walls. Bel will be put to shame, Marduk filled with terror. Her images will be put to shame and her idols filled with terror in those days and at that time declares Yahweh. The people of Israel and the people of Judah together will go in tears to seek Yahweh their God. They will ask the way to Zion and turn their faces toward it. They will come and bind themselves to Yahweh in an everlasting covenant that will not be forgotten. Or as as Isaiah puts it, Turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other by myself I have sworn, my mouth has uttered in all integrity a word that will not be revoked. Before me every knee will bow. Before me every tongue will swear. They will say of me in Yahweh alone are righteousness and strength. All who have raged against him will come to him and will be put to shame. But in Yahweh all the descendants of Israel will be found righteous and will exalt. Bel bows down. Nebo stoops low. Their idols are borne by beasts of burden. The images that are carried about are burdensome, a burden for the weary. They stoop down and bow down together, unable to rescue the burden. They themselves go off into captivity, so listen to me, O house of Jacob, all you who remain of the house of Israel, you whom I have upheld since you were conceived, and have carried since your birth, even to your old age, and gray hairs, I am he, I am he who will sustain you, I have made you, and I will carry you, I will sustain you, and I will rescue you. To whom will you compare me or count me as equal? To whom will you liken me that we may be compared? Some pour out gold for them their bags and weigh out silver on the scales. They hire a goldsmith to make it into a god and they bow down to it and worship it. They lift it on their shoulders and carry it. They set it on its place and there it stands. And from that that place it cannot be moved. The one cries out to it. It does not answer. It cannot save him from his troubles. Remember this. Fix it in your mind. Take it to heart, you rebels. Remember the former things. Those of long ago. I am God. And there is no other. I am a God and there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. I say my purpose will stand. And I will do as as I please. And Isaiah dares you to believe it. Yahweh dares you to believe it. Even in the time when you're being beat into the dirt he dares you to believe that I am Yahweh. This is a no match. There is none like me. But so hard. It's so hard, isn't it? There's a song we're going to sing today a little bit later on. And, and there's, there's something in these lyrics that there's just so many ways they speak for me. I want to share them with you right now. This is what it says. Within my heart's a rebellious side, conflicting with the spirit's desire, to keep my heart in step with you so I do not do what I want to do. All my life I lived to follow. You alone, as you changed my desires, liberated by the blood of Jesus, I found life in the sweetness of freedom. Only you have the power to break every chain I placed around my neck. I heard your call from the pit of death to surrender all and nothing less. Through the Spirit, I have righteousness, sweet victory over the flesh. I can walk with confidence in you as you gratify my soul with truth. It's so true, isn't it? And if you're here today resonating with those lyrics, you know, kind of saying that's me, look, God gets it. He gets it. And he loves you anyway. God gets it and he's faithful anyway. God gets it. And dare I say, maybe he even loves you more. Can God love you more? I don't know. Maybe yes and no at the same time, but he loves you more. Whatever language I have to use to kind of convey to you, that whatever rebellion's in your heart, whatever doubts that you face, whatever betrayal that you've carried, whatever times you've turned to your Marduk rather than Yahweh, He gets it. But he loves you anyway, and he's calling out to you today. You may have gone that way, but no more. You don't have to. Come back to me. No guilt, no shame. Come back to me. I died for you. Come back to me. Your sin is washed away. Come back to me, and trust me that I, Yahweh, am he. Supreme. Your salvation is here. And if you're here today with your face in the dirt, in Yahweh, that salvation is here for you today. And he invites you to receive that, to trust him in that. And even if it makes you weird, Follow after him in his way.